Method and Madness is a true crime podcast and contains descriptions of violence. This episode features themes of suicide, self-harm, and honor-based abuse, including domestic violence and sexual abuse. If you are affected by honor-based abuse, you're not alone. Safe, confidential, and free services are available. Check the show notes for more information on how to reach out safely. In a home video taken at a family wedding in Pakistan in 2003, 17-year-old Shafilia Ahmed is seen in royal blue formal wear, her long, dark hair partially pulled back. She smiles occasionally and glances at the camera. It was that same trip in which Shafilia would drink bleach. This is Method and Madness, episode 46, Trapped, Shafilia Ahmed. I'm your host, Don Gandhi. The body was dismembered. A ransom note was discovered. Hiker stumbled upon the nude body of a local... Police are looking into the brutal slaying of a young woman. There may be a clue in a released 911 call. The victim said she was stalked for five years. Held captive inside a storage container. It was a twisted mix of obsession and revenge. No weapon has been located. Shot while asleep in their beds. Method and Madness. Imagine if your beliefs, your aspirations, and even the length of your sleeve were not simply met with disapproval by your family, but with severe punishment. Imagine if merely choosing your own path, hobbies, who you wish to date, were met with threats and beatings. Gaining independence is one of the most exciting, though sometimes frightening, periods in one's life. That time when you're deciding what you want to do, whether it's going off to college, learning a trade, where you want to live or travel to, or maybe it's just reaching that age where dating is no longer casual, but you're ready to find a serious relationship, someone you could potentially see spending a lot of your time with. Maybe it's as simple as getting your driver's license and getting that freedom to go where you please. It's something that as adolescents, so many of us look forward to, the ability to make your own choices be what we want to be, who we want to be, surrounded by the people who we choose. We take it for granted that it's just the way it is. You turn 18 and start to experience the thrilling and turbulent world of adulthood. And although for many of us, our family members may not always be on board for the lives we choose— Maybe they roll their eyes or maybe even ground us for our version of self-expression, maybe a piercing. Well, most of us don't fear any serious repercussions or the threat of danger around the corner if we don't follow a specific lifestyle. In some families, in some cultures, the perception of honor takes priority over unconditional love, understanding, and acceptance. Where choosing your own path, straying from the expected, is perceived as shame to your family and is the most egregious act one can commit. Honor-based abuse may not be something you hear about every night on your local news, but it's out there, it's misunderstood, and there are approximately 5,000 honor-based killings every year 
worldwide. The details of this abuse can vary as far as who the perpetrators are, who the victims are, the age of the victim, and the form of abuse. It can look like neglect, cruelty, enslavement, false imprisonment, disfigurement. It can be child marriage, virginity testing, enforced abortion, forced marriage, female genital mutilation, as well as physical, sexual, and economic abuse, and coercive control, not to mention murder, all as defined by Karma Nirvana, an organization that works to end honor-based abuse in the UK. Honor-based abuse stems from a perceived violation of the honor and shame codes of a particular society or community. It originates from South Asia, Africa, and the Middle East, but can happen anywhere. It's important to mention here also that while honor-based abuse is commonly associated with Muslims, that not all Muslims condone honor-based abuse, and in fact, it can occur in other cultures and religions. Since 2016, it's been reported that the instances of honor-based abuse are on the rise, or it's being reported more. It's estimated that there are 12 to 15 honor killings of British citizens every year, but that number is conservative, and it's speculated that the number is much higher. Here is just one victim's story. Let's dive in. Iftikhar Ahmed was born in the village of Utam in Pakistan, and as a child, his parents made an arrangement that when he was older, he would marry his first cousin, Farzana. When he was 10, Iftikhar moved to the UK, left the small village in Pakistan behind, and embraced a Western lifestyle. As a teen and into his 20s, he enjoyed going out with friends, dancing, and he met and married a Danish woman, Vivi Lone Anderson, and the pair lived together in Denmark. In 1982, they had a son. In 1985, Iftikhar told his wife that he had to return to Pakistan for a while as his mother was very ill. He was solo on his trip, and several months later, Iftikhar called Vivi and told her he was coming back and they would live in a town in Cheshire, in England. He asked his wife to bring their son and meet him at their new home. Vivi, looking forward to the reunion with her husband, their family of three being back together, arrived in the town of Warrington and entered her new home. She was then introduced to some of Iftikhar's family members, including a pregnant woman named Farzana. An uncle referred to Farzana as Iftikhar's wife, to Vivi's shock. It was only then that she learned that while visiting Pakistan, Iftikhar married the bride that his parents had set up for him years earlier, his cousin Farzana. She became pregnant shortly after their wedding, and now, back in the UK and now with two wives, Iftikhar told Vivi that he'd been forced to marry Farzana and that she threatened to kill herself if he didn't go through with it. Vivi left Iftikhar, took her son, and moved back to Copenhagen, hurt, confused, and furious. This was not the man she had married. 
She only ever heard from him once more. When he called to let her know that Farzana had given birth, that was the final straw. And Vivi filed for divorce, though Iftikhar promised to send money for their son, she never heard from him again. And so, Iftikhar and Farzana Ahmed, newlyweds, had their first child, a girl. Shafilia Ahmed was born in Bradford, West Yorkshire, England, on July 14, 1986. Her father, Iftikhar, was a taxi driver, and her mother, Farzana, a housewife. Shafilia later became the big sister to four other children, one boy and three girls. Although Iftikhar Ahmed had been westernized, with his marriage to Farzana, he was now a follower of Sunni Islam, which makes up about 80% of the Muslim population in the world. Generally, Muslims commit to a lifestyle in which their morals and character replicate those of the Prophet Muhammad, and every day there are moments and actions that provide an opportunity to worship Allah, the name of God in Arabic. Muslims believe that every day is a test, and that the way they live their lives will ultimately be judged by God, and when they die, they'll either be sent to paradise or hell. The five Ahmed children were raised in their Warrington home about 20 miles from Liverpool. It was a very strict household, and despite living in a town where only about 1% of the population were Muslim, the expectation was that all five of the Ahmed children would abide by the cultural views that their parents had. And while that included traditions of Sunni Islam, it also included, for the four girls, marrying a Muslim man. This was non-negotiable. By the late 90s and early 2000s, Shafilia was feeling pulled, almost like a force, Attending school where her peers, her friends, got to dress how they wanted, listened to music that they enjoyed, dated, these things were far more appealing to the teen than the firm cultural beliefs being enforced at home. Like many teens at the time, Shafilia started listening to Justin Timberlake and picking out her own clothes, jeans, tees, hoodies, but none of that was allowed in the Ahmed home, and so... Shafilia took to hiding these things from her parents. She wanted to experiment with makeup, different hairstyles, and clothing, and would leave the house in her conservative attire, do her makeup and hair at school, and then change back before being picked up by her parents. Despite living in a Western community surrounded by non-Muslims, a Western lifestyle was not tolerated in the Ahmed household. And when Shafilia was about 15 years old, as she was embracing all that the world had to offer, her parents tightened the reins. The intimidation, the abuse, began. In order to keep their daughters obedient and following the idea of honor, which was culturally embedded, Iftikhar and Farzana would threaten, belittle, kick and beat their daughters for any perceived defiance. Anything that would potentially bring shame to the Ahmed family was punishable. When Shafilia came home with fake nails, her mother tore all the nails off. When she came home with her hair dyed, her mother forcefully washed the dye out of her daughter's hair and called her a slut. And that was just the tip of the iceberg. 
Shafilia took to expressing herself in the form of poems. I don't pretend like we're the perfect family no more. Desire to live is burning, my stomach is turning, but all they think about is honour. I was like a normal teenage kid, didn't ask too much, I just wanted to fit in. But my culture was different. Now I'm sitting here playing happy families, still crying tears. But no, we're a happy family. While males can absolutely be victims of honor-based abuse, Iftikhar's and Farzana's son was spared the punishments. What's a child to do? When they're living day-to-day in fear, Shafilia and her younger sister ran away from home in March of 1998, but were swiftly returned back to their parents' care. In October 2002, while attending high school, Shafilia didn't show up for classes for a month. Her teacher, Joanne Code, took notice and reached out to Iftikhar Ahmed. He told the teacher that Shafilia was done with school, that she no longer wanted to attend and had burned her books. This explanation didn't square with the type of student Shafilia was. She was very bright, ambitious, and never showed any indication of abruptly quitting school before she'd even graduated. Joanne asked to speak with the teen over the phone. She told Shafilia to simply answer yes or no and proceeded to ask if she should be worried about her students' welfare, to which Shafilia responded, yes. The next day, Shafilia returned to school, but this time with bruises on her neck and a cut to her lip. When asked about the markings, she described the beatings she'd been enduring for years by her parents and how most recently they took turns holding her down and beating her, punishment because they thought she was having sex with boys. The school called in Iftikhar and Farzana for a meeting to discuss Shafilia's well-being. During the conversation, her parents would claim racial prejudice if the conversation veered into uncomfortable territory. Regardless, Shafilia elaborated on the issues at home, how she had no freedom, no independence to be herself. It was then, in the presence of the school administration, that Iftikhar assured everyone that things would improve and Shafilia would be given more freedom. Meanwhile, Joanne Code referred Shafilia's case to social services. With social services now involved, Shafilia feared that the clock was beginning to run out and that one particular threat her parents continuously made would come to fruition. She refused the help of social services and tried to minimize the whole situation. Frustrated that they couldn't control their daughter and couldn't get her to conform to their idea of an honorable lifestyle, Iftikhar and Farzana repeatedly told their oldest daughter that they were going to take her to Pakistan, marry her off, and leave her there. She would never return to the UK again, never see her friends, and any dream of going on to college would be shattered. Shafilia ran away from home again in November 2002, but her parents found her, and she was back home the following day. In February 2003, Plane tickets to Pakistan were purchased. Iftikhar and Farzana told Shafilia that there was a suitor waiting for her, a distant cousin that she would be married to soon. 
Shafilia, now 17, had no intention of following through with an arranged marriage. She had her own plans. She was determined to attend college and become a lawyer. The notion that she would be brought to Pakistan, forced to marry a man she didn't know and left there, was too much to comprehend. And so, once again, Shafilia ran away from home and stayed with friends to avoid the upcoming trip. Social services again intervened. With their assistance, Shafilia filled out an application for housing. In it, she wrote that over the past few years, she'd been experiencing domestic violence at the hands of her parents. Quote, There has been a buildup of violence toward me, and my mother told me I was about to go to Pakistan to have an arranged marriage. My mother had started to pack, and my parents had been to school and informed teachers that I would be absent to go to Pakistan. My teachers have approached my parents in the past about them preventing me from attending school and threatened to get social services involved. I would prefer to stay in Warrington, and I feel that if I was offered accommodation, my parents would leave me alone because of the involvement of the police, school, connections, etc. With the potential of new housing on the horizon, Shafilia was headed to class on February 10th, Walking down the street with her friend, they both watched as Iftikhar's taxi pulled up. He emerged, grabbed Shafilia, and forced her into the car, taking her back home. Before anyone else could intervene, Iftikhar told his daughter that the day was approaching. They were going to Pakistan, and she wouldn't be returning to the UK. Since she refused to step foot on a plane— her mother slipped her sleeping pills into her drink. Barely able to stand up straight, they managed to get her onto their scheduled flight. Shafilia woke up in Pakistan. While there, Farzana made a comment to Shafilia that she wouldn't be returning home. And there, in a foreign country where she, a 17-year-old, was proposed marriage, Shafilia got up and went to the bathroom. Moments later, her family heard screaming and responded to the commotion. They found Shafilia holding her stomach, an opened bottle of bleach, next to her on the floor. In what was either a protest, a suicide attempt, or self-harm as a means of coping, Shafilia had drunk bleach and told her sister, what else was I supposed to do? Shafilia was rushed to a local hospital and treated for severe burns to her throat and esophagus. She stayed in the hospital for two months and due to her injuries was no longer considered a suitable bride. When doctors questioned how and why Shafilia had drunk bleach, her father explained that there'd been a power outage and that in the dark, Shafilia had mistaken the bleach for mouthwash, a lie that had been suggested by Farzana. With Shafilia unable to properly eat, she could barely swallow. Her weight dropped to about 68 pounds, or 31 kilograms. While she was hospitalized in Pakistan, Iftikhar returned home to the UK that March. He cashed in his oldest daughter's return plane ticket. But in May of 2003, Shafilia did return to the UK, 
still dealing with severe throat injuries. She went to the ICU at a Warrington hospital and was again admitted, this time for three months. The medical staff there were also told that Shafilia had drunk the bleach, thinking it was mouthwash. If someone in the medical field could reach out and let me know how this wouldn't have raised red flags, I'd love to know. When she was released and back home, her parents refused to allow Shafilia to return to Great Sankey High School, claiming it was there that the trouble began. Instead, they enrolled her at Priestley Sixth Form College. Shafilia was still receiving medical treatment, but was recovering and gaining back some weight. While attending school, she also had a part-time job at a call center in Warrington. Despite the emotional and physical trauma that Shafilia was suffering, from the outside, many people thought the Ahmed family was normal. But the poems written by Shafilia around this time indicated life was far from normal. I'm trapped, so trapped. I'm trapped with you. It was my last year in school, so happy with my friends. I got lots to do. But came this day when everything changed. I came home, it seemed like a normal day, but something wasn't right. I wish I could have changed the event. I should have killed myself instead. I'd rather have been dead. Because now I have a burden on my chest. And no, it won't go away. The guilt. The pain. On September 18th, 2003, Shafilia's siblings were at school and were overheard talking about their big sister, how she wasn't around anymore. The murmurings were enough to raise some red flags, and Shafilia's former teacher, the same one who'd contacted social services the previous year, took action. Joanne Code learned that Shafilia had been missing for the past week, that she was last seen at her job on the evening of September 11th. Nobody in her family had contacted the police to report her missing. But Joanne did, and an official report was filed that day. Police questioned Shafilia's parents. They said their daughter had returned from work on the night of September 11th and went to bed. The following morning, she was gone, and it appeared... To their disgust, she'd only taken Western clothes. Naturally, the police were skeptical. If the 17-year-old had run away or gone missing, why hadn't the parents called and filed a report? According to Iftikhar and Farzana, Shafilia had run away before, and the police response was inadequate, so they were handling the situation on their own. Presented with some of the rumors that had been going around, like the trip to Pakistan where Shafilia was introduced to a suitor and had drunk bleach, Iftikhar and Farzana denied that the trip to Pakistan was anything more than just a family vacation, and that the bleach incident was just an accident. Missing posters were created and circulated with an image of Shafilia dressed in her high school uniform, a white collared shirt and dark blazer. The text described the 5'2", 98-pound Shafilia physically and in bold print indicated she required urgent medical treatment. Also noted was that she may be wearing a gold ring with a green stone, a gold ring with a white diamond, and a gold necklace with the letter S attached. 
She also may have been in possession of a black handbag with white diagonal stripes and a, quote, new-look carrier bag containing college work. Shafilia was known to be naive and not exactly streetwise. The police doubted she'd run off based on what they'd learned about her. They also learned that Shafilia had confided in a teacher about emotional and physical abuse and the fear that she'd get married off in Pakistan. Investigators were laser-focused on Farzana and on Iftikhar. Who, they were finding out, was known for having a temper among his co-workers. As a part of the investigation, the Ahmed home was searched and the family questioned extensively. But the only information any of Shafilia's parents or siblings would say is that they didn't know where she was and she must have run away. They also insisted that there was no arranged marriage planned in Pakistan. Iftikhar and Farzana played the role of worried parents, making statements and pleading to the public. We just wish somebody could tell us what happened to us. We appeal to the public, if anybody knows anything, to come forward. In addition to the Ahmed home, Searches were conducted in nearby wastelands, and Iftikhar made another statement regarding the investigation zeroing in on him and his wife. Quote, I love my daughter. Why would I ever want to do anything to hurt her? The last few months have been absolute torture. Not only has my 17-year-old daughter vanished and is feared dead, but the police are trying to frame the family for a crime I know I could never commit. It doesn't make sense they have wasted three months searching my house and our cars when they should be trying to discover where she really went. The police claim that it was an arranged marriage, but that's totally wrong. Regardless, three months after their daughter went missing, Iftikhar and Farzana were arrested on suspicion of kidnapping. The search for 17-year-old Shafilia Ahmed had spread nationwide, and meanwhile, her parents were released on bail. They continued to insist they were innocent and began publicly accusing the police of racial bias. In February of 2004, workers on the bank of the River Kent in Kendall, Cumbria, came across a badly decomposed body. It was found concealed in some bushes next to the river. Cumbria is about 70 miles from the Ahmed's Warrington home. It appeared that the body had deliberately been hidden on a riverbank under brush and debris. An initial analysis was that the body had been there for several weeks, and there were very few identifying factors pending a full medical examination. Some jewelry was found on or near the body, and Iftikhar and Farzana told police that their daughter owned similar jewelry. It wasn't until three weeks later that the body was identified as Shafilia Ahmed through dental records. A cause of death could not be determined, and a second post-mortem examination was ordered by the coroner. During a televised briefing in February, police were providing details about Shafilia's murder when Iftikhar and Farzana crashed with their legal team in tow. One of their lawyers, Milton Furman, spoke for them, saying, quote, Their plea is that the investigation is carried out fairly and not based on implied prejudice, 
that every Asian family must be involved in the demise of their own offspring. This is an Asian family existing under religious and cultural pressures. The police have put two and two together and made 14. He also said that the Ahmeds despised the term honor killing and that the investigation should be centered on the actual murderer, possibly a boyfriend that Shafilia had. Although investigators couldn't rule the Ahmeds out as suspects, they were formally released without charge in June of 2004 when the Crown Prosecution Service ruled that there was insufficient evidence against them. This all despite the fact that investigators had bugged the Ahmed home in an attempt to gather evidence. With those recordings, it seemed that Iftikhar and Farzana may have been aware they were under surveillance. In September of 2004, five members of the Ahmed's extended family, one woman and four men, were arrested for lying to police but later released. Years went by, and in January of 2008, pathologist Dr. Allison Armar spoke at an inquest into Shafilia's death. The doctor said there was no credible evidence to suspect that Shafilia had died of natural causes. Additionally, Coroner Ian Smith ruled that she'd been unlawfully killed. But without witnesses or confession, Shafilia's murderer or murderers had still not been brought to justice. And after seven years, a strange turn of events would finally lead to an arrest. It was August 2010 on Liverpool Road in Warrington, Cheshire. Three men wearing masks broke into the Ahmed home. They were armed with a hammer, an iron bar, and a gun. Upon entering the home, they tied up Farzana and three of her children. The three men then took cash and jewelry, kicked Farzana's son, hit one of her daughters in the shoulder with a hammer, and then fled the scene. Within days, Shafilia's sister, 22-year-old Alicia, was arrested on suspicion of orchestrating the armed robbery. The men involved had not been found. While in police custody, Alicia unloaded a weight she'd been carrying for nearly seven years. She had been 15 at the time her sister disappeared and was now beginning to see her life going down a similar path as Shafilia's. Her parents had recently invited a family from Bradford over, and a man was introduced to Alicia as a potential suitor. She didn't know him, but he'd apparently seen her at a wedding and was interested in making her his bride. Alicia turned the proposal down. After that, her parents constantly talked about bringing her to Pakistan to marry her off. Alicia had organized a home robbery out of desperation, and now, either to clear her conscience or to possibly avoid jail time, she told investigators what she'd witnessed on September 11, 2003. Alicia spoke of her parents' disapproval of Shafilia's Western lifestyle, including befriending white girls, dressing in jeans and short-sleeved shirts, all which prompted them to call her a whore and a prostitute. On the evening of September 11th, Farzana had picked Shafilia up from her part-time job and saw that she was in tight jeans and a short-sleeved tee, revealing her arms. What followed was an argument that continued when they got home. 
Now, both Shafilia's parents were confronting her as they pushed her down on the couch, her siblings watching. Alicia told police that her mother said, just finish it here. Farzana and Iftikhar took turns holding Shafilia down. They then took a plastic bag and shoved it into Shafilia's mouth and into her throat. The teen's eyes widened as she began kicking to defend herself. But in her already weakened physical state, she was no match, and she died right there in her home, while her sisters and brother watched in horror, the youngest just seven years old. Let's take a break. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I'm really thankful that mental health and self-care are taking more of a front seat these days. Therapy has helped me when I felt overwhelmed and needed to sort some things out. Maybe you're feeling more stressed lately or like you're struggling with work or personal relationships. However you're feeling, you deserve to be happy and to know that there is no shame in therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy. In under 48 hours, you could be communicating with a therapist by phone, live chat, or video if you're comfortable. Now is a good time to invest in yourself and see what online therapy is all about. And special offer to Method and Madness listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash method and madness. That's betterhelp.com slash method and madness. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Alicia said that after Shafilia died, her father punched her body, and her mother went to the kitchen where she gathered bedding, garbage bags, and rolls of tape. Alicia then watched as her father carried Shafilia's body out of the house, put her in the back of his car, and drove away. The other children had run upstairs in fear. Now the police finally had what they needed, and Iftikhar and Farzana were arrested in September 2011 for the murder of their oldest daughter. They both entered pleas of not guilty. The trial was set for the following year, and after years of claiming innocence, Farzana changed her story in July 2012. On the evening Shafila disappeared from her home in Warrington, Mrs. Ahmed says she came downstairs to find her husband attacking her daughter. In her news statement, Mrs. Ahmed says she was punched by her husband when she tried to intervene and left the room. Later, when she asked where Shafilia had gone, her husband said, If you care for your dear life and that of your children, don't ever ask me this question again. This statement completely contradicted the witness statement provided by Alicia, and it was Alicia's testimony that would ultimately lead jurors to a decision. After her arrest for organizing the armed robbery, Alicia was given a 12-month prison term suspended for two years as well as probation. She was put into a witness protection program while the trial went on. During her testimony, Alicia sat behind a curtain on the witness stand and described how Shafilia had had no choice but to live a secret life, 
one that she hid from their parents. She provided the court with details of the abuse that her sister had suffered, abuse that seemed to be at its worst when it was revealed that Shafilia had male friends. Some of the brutal punishments included being left in a room without food for days and being threatened with a knife. Although the other Ahmed siblings disputed it, most likely out of fear, Alicia testified that the four of them had watched their parents kill Shafilia, but her father's lawyer begged to differ and told the court that Alicia was lying just to get out of facing punishment for the 2010 robbery. Alicia's testimony was a game-changer, but it wasn't the only evidence presented that hurt the defense. The jury was presented with the poems that Shafilia had written about happy families and feeling trapped. And excerpts from a diary sealed Iftikhar's and Farzana's fates. Submitted into evidence was the diary of Shaheen Munir, a friend of Shafilia's sister, Mev. In the diary, Shaheen had written in 2003 about conversations she and Mev had about the night Shafilia was killed. The writings matched up with Alicia's statements and testimony. Both Iftikhar and Farzana Ahmed were found guilty of murdering their daughter and sentenced to a minimum of 25 years in prison. Farzana exited the court fairly quietly, while Iftikhar swore. During the reading of the sentencing, Mr. Justice Roderick Evans of Chester Crown Court delivered some powerful words to Shafilia's parents. Here's one particularly powerful excerpt that was read specifically to Iftikhar. You chose to bring up your family in Warrington, but although you lived in Warrington, your social and cultural attitudes were those of rural Pakistan, and it was those which you imposed upon your children. Shafilia was a determined, able, and ambitious girl who wanted to live a life which was normal in the country and in the town in which you had chosen to live and bring up your children. However, you could not tolerate the life that Shafilia wanted to live. You wanted your family to live in Pakistan in Warrington. Although she went to local schools, you objected to her socializing with girls from what has been referred to as the white community. You objected to her wearing Western clothes, and you objected to her having contact with boys. She was being squeezed between two cultures, the culture and way of life that she saw around her and wanted to embrace and the culture and way of life you wanted to impose upon her. A desire that she understood and appreciated the cultural heritage from which she came is perfectly understandable, but an expectation that she live in a sealed cultural environment separate from the culture of the country in which she lived was unrealistic, destructive, and cruel. The conflict between you and her increased in the last year of her life, and you tried to impose your cultural values and attitudes on her by intimidation, bullying, and the use of physical violence. She tried to escape, and she was determined to do so because she knew what lie in store for her at your hands. Being taken to Pakistan to be sorted out, having her westernized ideas removed, and to be married off. 
Throughout the four-page statement, Justice Evans emphatically stressed how both Iftikhar and Farzana worked as a team to kill their oldest daughter while she was in a weakened state from having drank bleach earlier that same year. How the couple had done the unthinkable, murdering their child and doing so in front of their other children, as well as forcing them to lie about the events. How Shafilia was ambitious, and she was failed by the two who were supposed to protect and love her. One myth is that arranged marriage is the same as forced marriage, but there is a difference, and understanding that difference will help to continue bringing awareness to honor-based abuse. According to the organization Karma Nirvana, honor-based abuse is more prevalent within communities from South Asia, the Middle East, and North and East Africa. Reports come from the Muslim, Sikh, Hindu, Orthodox Jewish, and occasionally traveler communities. It is not determined by gender. Both perpetrators and victims can be male or female. However, cultural tradition does not mean honor-based abuse is acceptable. Forced marriage is illegal. All forms of domestic abuse are illegal. In 2015, the first day of memory was held. It's to honor those lost, to honor-based abuse, and to bring hope to those affected. It is now known as the National Day of Remembrance for Honor-Based Violence and is held on July 14th, Shafilia Ahmed's birthday. A special thank you to my friend Sarah, host of the amazing podcast Weird Horizon, for providing the voiceover for Shafilia's poems. Go check out Weird Horizon for discussions on the spooky, esoteric, the countercultural, and the just plain weird. And make sure to hit that subscribe button. Thank you for listening to Method and Madness. This is an independent podcast. If you'd like to show your support, you can leave a five-star rating on Spotify or a five-star review on Apple Podcast. It makes the show more visible for new listeners. I'm on Twitter at MethodPod and on Instagram at MethodAndMadnessPod. There's a Method and Madness page on Facebook as well. To chat or discuss the episode, reach out to me at MethodAndMadnessPod at gmail.com. Method and Madness is researched, written, and hosted by me. It is sound edited by Moen Spo. Thank you to Faith and John of the Mission Rejected podcast and to Rohan for lending their voices for the theme music. Method and Madness is a true crime podcast that discusses dark and disturbing subject matter. Take care of yourself. For crisis support, text hello to 741-741.